is not so much the fuel itself or even the high voltage because we're all used to that. It's probably the biggest concern is really the stored energy in the pressurized gas cylinders. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service across the USA. There are a lot of cars on the road today that just a few years ago would have been considered exotic. One of the newest types of cars is the hydrogen fuel cell vehicle. And just as you needed to learn how to deal with an electric car that's been in a crash, these cars have special needs too. Joining me to explain the precautions you need to take is Jennifer Hamilton a senior program consultant for Frontier Energy. Jennifer is an expert in hydrogen safety, education, and codes and standards for the California Fuel Cell Partnership. And she joins me now. Thanks for being on Code 3 today, Jennifer. Thank you for having me, Scott. Let's start with the basic concept. How does a hydrogen fuel car operate? So I just want to start out by saying that um, hydrogen fuel cell cars are actually electric cars, except that rather than plugging them in for a charge, they generate electricity on board the vehicle in real time using hydrogen that's stored in fuel storage cylinders and a fuel cell, which is an electrochemical device that basically borrows the electron from the hydrogen molecule to generate the electrical current that powers the vehicle. We know hydrogen is explosive, so what precautions do we need to take with it? Well, hydrogen has a fairly wide flammability range, um, and it is flammable. It wouldn't be a fuel if it wasn't. Um, But its most easily ignited mixture is 29%, which is quite a bit higher than, say, gasoline vapor, which is around 2%, or natural gas, which I believe is around 9% uh, mixture in air. And the hydrogen we're using on these cars is nearly 100% pure, and there's no ignition or combustion happening in the vehicle. This is a a little bit different process than what we're used to with other kinds of cars. So part of the education that happens around these vehicles. What's the risk to a first responder who encounters one of these cars at a crash scene? I've been doing some training with a colleague of mine who's a battalion chief for um, Hanford Fire in Washington State. And in doing our training recently, um, the thing that he points out and I think is the most important element is not so much the fuel itself or even the high voltage because we're all used to that. It's probably the biggest concern is really the stored energy in the pressurized gas cylinders. And that said, the industry understands that and there are redundant safety systems in the cars. Now, I know firefighters see the exception to those rules, but there's quite a few different ways to isolate the fuel 
to the storage cylinder and they're very robust and they're tested very rigorously according to industry standards to ensure that if they are breached, that they do not rupture, that they vent the contents of the tank safely. It's a little bit of perhaps a, a boisterous event, but it's short-lived and it actually is good if that tank is venting off because we don't have pressure building up. Right, but the tanks are under pressure normally, correct? They are. The light-duty cars, um, and I personally drive a Toyota Mirai, when it's full, so just after I fill, it's at around 10,000 PSI, give or take. It's about 70 megapascals is the way we refer to it, which is just another way of you know denoting pressure. And so as I drive and my, my fuel indicator goes down and down and down, of course, that pressure decreases. And so buses, things like buses and forklifts and other applications might use 5,000 PSI, again, when they're full. It's a little bit less pressure. But when I talk with firefighters, we relate these to the SCBA tanks that they use for their, you know, when they go into fires for their breathing apparatus, they're carbon fiber wrapped cylinders, very similar to what they carry on their back. Um, So, of course, with higher pressure, the carbon fiber is much thicker. And then, of course, there's those other safety systems like the thermally activated pressure relief devices that would vent the contents if the tanks were in a fire situation. Is it safe to be extricating a victim from, let's say, the driver's seat while the tank is venting? If that were to happen, um, one thing that we have instructed in our operations level course is to use a fog spray, 30, 45 degree angle fog spray to protect the firefighters from the flame that's already there that caused the hydrogen to vent, plus the venting hydrogen, to get to a patient in the vehicle and just let, again, let that hydrogen burn off. As far as extrication, there's really, you know, the same sorts of hazards to look out for as any other car in terms of airbags and seatbelt pretensioners and, you know, struts and things like that. The high voltage is orange, just like in any other hybrid. And the fueling line, the fuel line that carries the hydrogen from the storage to the fuel cell stack is a um, hydrogen compatible stainless steel. So it's a rigid line. And those are really up the center line. So they won't be running those through, you know, the rocker panel or the B post or something like that. So the only other sort of exception, I suppose, is that a lot of the components for these vehicles lie along the floor. So going through the floor of a vehicle for extrication, which I understand isn't you know, a first choice, but it's probably going to be more difficult just because you have these sort of large, heavy objects in the way, like a fuel cell stack or a high voltage battery, for example, or the tanks, the cylinders. I'll be back with more right after this. Every day, you put your life on the line to protect our families, friends, communities, cities, and our nation. Federal Resources knows the dangers you encounter daily. Whether it's fire, hazmat, or the more recent opioid threats, we're here to support you, protect you, and help train you for your next mission. You're looking out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Federalresources.com. Have you been working with firefighters to develop procedures for what to do when they roll up on a scene involving a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle? 
We do. Um, and at the end of the day, it's a car, um, but we talk about in our program how the vehicles work and what kinds of things you might use to identify them besides the, the regular badging that, of course, is on a car. But the the overarching message is really use standard operating procedures. Approach the vehicle as you would, you know, normally if that's from the front or a 45 degree angle or 90 degrees. We do say generally, you know, if the vehicle's venting, you don't want to be towards the back because that's where the venting hydrogen would be. Again, it's very short lived. But if the hydrogen is venting, we want to let hydrogen burn and let it do its thing and fight all the non-hydrogen fires. Because if that hydrogen's venting and burning off, it's really getting rid of itself. And the problem is is kind of taking care of itself. And again, the reason that these tanks have to vent is because they are in fire. Otherwise, the vehicles are designed to isolate the fuel in those cylinders. And that's where we want to keep it. That's where it's happy. And they do that a couple of different ways. But there are solenoids in those um, fuel storage cylinders that are mechanically operated, electrically operated, and their default position is shut. So if there is some kind of, you know, electrical problem or something, then the default would be to shut those uh, solenoids and keep the fuel where it belongs. Are you saying that assuming the tank is venting, there could be a fire associated with that? That's really the reason they need to vent. It's, it's, I know you never say never, but it's highly, highly, highly unlikely that a tank on a vehicle would be venting without fire associated. Now, in a stationary situation with storage, that may not be the case. And we actually had an example of that some years back, I think 2012, of fueling station that fuels buses in the Bay Area. There was a an issue with a piece of equipment with a, a PRD on the storage system that was actually, it turned out, improper material and it was there was a, a problem with the selection of the actual piece of equipment so it failed however the system all in all performed exactly as it was meant to in that it vented the fuel safely so that was a case where we had venting hydrogen and it actually did ignite um, out of the vent stack but there were no injuries there was um, the only thing that was damaged was a small metal overhang that actually it turned out was another learning was added after the plans were approved and it should have actually caused the vent stack to be raised, but it got through somehow without, <laughs> without that happening. So there were many learnings that came out of that. But my point is that, you know, that's a situation in a, in a, a storage type of situation where we had some venting hydrogen in a vehicle. Again, it's really only if, there's a multi-vehicle accident, there's another fuel that's spilled and ignited, like gasoline or, say, diesel or something, and there's a pool fire that's heating those tanks up. And so that's when they would need to to vent because that pressure is building up. So if I could sum up what I'm hearing then, you're saying that they're really no more dangerous than a typical gasoline-fueled car. Is that, that fair? Is, yes, that is, that is the conclusion we like to reach at the end of our trainings. And hydrogen as a fuel actually has some properties that make it 
you know, no fuel is inherently safe, right? So it's the systems that are designed around the use of those fuels that make them safe for us to use them as consumers. But there are some properties of hydrogen itself that kind of make it a little bit safer, if you will. One thing being that it's 14 times lighter than air. So while we don't want to leak, if it does leak, it the, the tendency is for it to rise and dissipate away. If a vehicle has to vent because it's in fire, that venting is a very short duration, literally a couple of minutes, because the hydrogen is so light and, it, and it's under pressure and it's venting so quickly. So, so yes, at the end of the day, there are a car. We want standard operating procedures applied, understanding that it's a high-voltage system because it's electric. Uh, you have stored energy in the form of the, the compressed gas, but there are safety systems on there to augment um, any major disasters. <laughs> and the good thing is we haven't had any. So, you know, there are cars running around out there in the wild, so to speak. And so far, we've we've had a great uh, record with them. And hydrogen in general has a pretty good safety record in industry. So, you know, there's a lot of care that's gone into getting this technology out to the consumer. All right. Great information. Thanks, Jennifer Hamilton, for being with us on Code 3 today. You're very welcome. Thanks again for having me. And we put info on hydrogen fuel cell vehicle safety on our website, Code3Podcast.com slash hydrogen. Check it out. Here comes your trivia question. On October 8, 1871, the Great Chicago Fire started. What other fire started the same day and resulted in even more deaths? I'll have the answer right after this. If you've been thinking about making a monthly pledge to support Code 3, we have an even better reason for you to do it now. We've started a new subscriber-only benefit. It's called the Code 3 Bull Session. It's more material from some of our interviews. Interesting stuff that didn't make it into the regular show. But only patrons get to hear it. So head over to Code3Podcast.com slash support and make a pledge of $10 a month or more, and you'll get immediate access to the Bull Session. Don't miss it. Here's the trivia answer. The Great Chicago Fire killed 300 people, but on the same day it began, a fire broke out in Peshtigo, Wisconsin, in which more than 1,000 people died. October 8, 1871 was an especially bad day for fires. Fifty people were also killed in a fire on that day in Port Huron, Michigan. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, I'll see you later. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.